You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. I want to start off with a story this morning. Uh, this is a, a true story. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I went to church camp every year. Uh, and I can remember when I was in middle school, uh, there was a, a pastor from another church in the association. He was doing the uh, morning devotionals for the, the middle school and the high school boys. Uh, and he was talking that morning about setting uh, proper expectations, uh, specifically in regards to marriage. And his encouragement for us that morning was to, to make a written list of what he called the non-negotiables, the essential expectations regarding who we'd marry. That way, anytime we met a woman who, you know, might just be the one, we could always go back to that list, uh, pull it out of our back pockets, and then see if she met those expectations. And that, that would keep us from compromising on God's plan for us in marriage. Now, what he was teaching uh, it wasn't necessarily a bad idea in principle. I mean, it is a, a good idea to uh, establish standards and not waver from those standards. Uh, but, but I think the, the bigger issue was the amount of faith that this pastor put in the maturity of middle school boys. I think that most of us in that room needed to learn more about the proper use of deodorant before we thought about looking for a future spouse. I mean, I, I can still remember reading some of those essential expectations that some of the other campers wrote down. You know, things like, oh, she has to have blonde hair or blue eyes, or, or one kid just wrote, she's got to be hot. Uh, and as I look back on that time, I, I genuinely believe that if the future wives of those campers would, would have walked into that cabin that very morning, um, I doubt that many, if any, would have recognized or believed that those women would be who they would eventually marry. And it wouldn't have been because those campers would go on to compromise and marry women who, who failed to meet you know, biblical expectations for a wife, that they wouldn't have recognized those women because of how much better they would be compared to these superficial lists that they had scrabbled, scribbled down. Uh, and as we continue to study through the book of Mark, uh, we, we actually see a, a very similar story playing out in the New Testament. Uh, at this point, God's people have been longing for and expecting the Messiah for millennia. I mean, ever since the uh, promise after the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, humanity has been waiting for Christ's arrival. And, and during this wait, they have had plenty of time to speculate 
and to create long, drawn-out lists of those expectations of what his arrival will look like. But just as with those campers, uh, these expectations are not too lofty, but rather they are far too lacking. They're they're not too lofty, they're too lacking. They're, They're not enough. They assume little more than a Messiah who will come as an earthly king to free them from the grips of Rome, and they can't fathom the deeper reality of him freeing them from the bondage of sin and eternal torment. And so as you read through the the early ministry of Jesus, you see that the people around him are actually at great risk of not even recognizing him, even as he stands in their very presence. And that's going to be true of many in the passage that we are going to study. This morning, we're going to look at two groups of individuals. First, a crowd who approaches Jesus while he's trying to teach, and then at a group called by Jesus that he appoints as his apostles. So so you have the crowd and you have the called. And one group tries to approach Jesus on their terms, and the other group is appointed by Jesus on his terms. And you'll see that many in the crowds are mesmerized by Jesus. But but almost all of them fail to recognize who Jesus really is. He's a magician capable of working many miracles, but he's not a Messiah with a gospel message that can set their captive souls free. It's only those who Jesus has called and set aside, not not the crowds who approach Jesus, but rather the called who are appointed by Jesus, who go on to become his true disciples. And that's crucial for you to understand this morning. Because if you want to leave the crowd in order to be called and used by Jesus as a servant in his kingdom, you have to recognize who he is. And the key to recognizing Jesus as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world It has less to do with your attraction to Jesus and far more to do with your level of submission to Jesus. That's what we're we're looking at today. The, The crowds were attracted to Jesus. They were in awe of Jesus. He was a novelty. But it was only the ones who dropped their nets who surrendered their lives and submitted to Jesus that that he called and appointed as his apostles. So becoming a disciple of Jesus is not about your level of attraction to Jesus. It's about your level of submission to Jesus. So let me go ahead and read our text this morning. This is 
Mark chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up to the mountain and he called to him those who he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named the apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12 Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrus, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So let's start by looking at that first group of individuals, uh, the crowd. Uh, in the opening verses, Mark notes that Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea. Uh, and as he does, a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from uh, around Tyre and Sidon. Uh, so Jesus tried to get away for a bit with an informal group of his disciples, and they, they go on a, a sort of seaside retreat. They're, they're probably trying to take a break from the stress and the tension that arose from the conflict that we studied last week between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding uh, the Sabbath. Uh, but almost immediately, we see that a great crowd has followed Jesus and his disciples, and they disrupt their plans. Uh, people from far away regions uh, travel great distances uh, to see this spectacle that is Jesus. He, he's now uh, kind of a, a sort of Jewish celebrity, and the crowd is really the, the first century equivalent of his paparazzi. And so, so many people show up on the scene uh, that, that Jesus actually has his disciples prepare a boat for him just in case he needs a quick getaway vehicle so as not to be crushed by this unruly horde of people uh, suddenly pressing in around him. But then in addition to this crowd, notice that there, there's a second group that Mark mentions here. Uh, as the intrusive crowd uh, crashes Jesus's seaside retreat, 
Mark also recounts the presence of a number of unclean spirits, uh, which Mark uh, is really just his way of saying uh, demons. They, they begin to cry out to Jesus, calling him the Son of God. And just like the crowds, the demons actually become disruptive in their own way, so much so that, that Jesus actually has to order them to be quiet. And, and so as you compare the crowd's behavior to the, the demons that are present, there's actually a, a great irony that is at work in this story. While the crowds are practically tripping over and falling on Jesus, it's actually the demons that are falling before Jesus, acknowledging him as the son of God. The human world seems oblivious to the significance of who Jesus really is. To, to them, Jesus is just kind of like a, a YouTube video that's gone viral. Uh, he's just this uh, sensation. Uh, he's an interesting spectacle to see or a celebrity to watch or, or touch, but, but there's, there's really nothing more. And, and so as you read the story, you're, you're left with one of the greatest ironies in human history. The, the fact that God incarnate ha, has come to the earth to save mankind and the only ones who recognize him are the demons. And, and even then, when, when they cry out and they declare him as the son of God, it's not out of submission, but rather out of hatred and fear. This is an important theme in the book of Mark. Uh, if you read his entire gospel account, no human actually acknowledges Jesus as the Son of God until the centurion does at the crucifixion. Uh, it's not really until the, the aftermath of Jesus' death on the other side of the cross that humanity really begins to understand just who Jesus was. And when, when you think about the, the crowd's interaction with Jesus, there's a, a number of implications for you and I today. Uh, because there, there are still many people in our day and age that, that try to approach Jesus in a similar manner. So, so the first implication is this. Uh, it, it means that, that you can be close to Jesus without actually being near to Jesus. You can be close to Jesus without actually being near to Jesus. Uh, like the crowd, you, you could press in so close to, to Jesus that, that you're you're you know, practically tripping over him, but that doesn't mean that relationally you are anywhere near him. Uh, in, in your prayer life, you could be pressing in on him and, and bombarding him with a litany of prayer requests, uh, kind of like a, a 
kid uh, giving his Christmas wish list to Santa. But, but if you haven't seen Jesus as the Son of God, and if you haven't submitted to him as your Savior, th- then you have no real relationship with him. Uh, you, you can get excited about Jesus. Uh, you may be attracted to the idea of Jesus. Uh, you may talk about him a lot. But unless you've submitted your soul to him, your, your life is nowhere near Jesus. But, but secondly, there's another implication. Uh, this also means that you can know many facts about Jesus without actually having any kind of faith in Jesus. You can know facts about Jesus without actually having faith in Jesus. I mean, the the minds of the demons were filled with information and knowledge about Christ. But those facts did not equate to genuine faith. They, They could rightfully articulate that Jesus was the Son of God, but they still refused to willingly submit to his authority. And you can know the the most about Jesus and still not know him personally. I mean, you you can grow up in church. You can read your Bible. You can know the ins and outs of every theological debate of your day. Uh, But if you don't translate that head knowledge to an actual submission of the heart, then you have acquired all of that knowledge in vain. You're you're really no better off than the demons were in Jesus's day. So so the crowds approached Jesus, even though they didn't actually know Jesus or recognize who he was. Uh, Now let's turn our attention to to look at the second group of individuals to, to see those who are called by Jesus to be appointed as his apostles. We're going to look at the the called. Look with me, if you will, at verses 13 through 19. Mark writes, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out the demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boangarus, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So so these 12 men are called by Jesus. They've been chosen and set aside. And I just want to take some time to to study this second group of individuals, actually from a couple of different angles. I want you to, to first see the big picture of what's going on in this text. And then I want to focus on the details 
of the event and kind of study this story under a microscope to see what implications it has for you and me. So first, the, the big picture, kind of the story in light of the, the meta-narrative. And then after we, we see kind of the, the meta-narrative, we're going to look at the story under a microscope. So, so first, the, the big picture. The, these verses uh, really are a revolutionary turning point in the unfolding narrative uh, of the Bible. Jesus's appointment of 12 apostles, it really redefines what it means to uh, follow the Lord and to be a part of his people. I mean, historically, it was only ethnic Israel, those who were the physical descendants of Abraham, who were the Lord's chosen. So, so if you weren't lucky enough to have been born into an Israelite family, uh, but you still wanted to, to commit yourself to be a follower of the Lord, it involved a, a great number of sacrifices and rituals. And if you were a male, it involved a, a very painful circumcision. And, and needless to say, not a lot of people chose that option. But, but now... Instead of having to belong to one of the 12 tribes of ethnic Israel, we, we see that Jesus appointing these 12 men, uh, the, the, they will go on to form the nucleus of the church that will eventually stretch to the farthest corners of the earth and will eventually include men and women from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. This is a revolutionary turning point. I mean, from this point forward, rather than being a descendant of Abraham, being a disciple of Jesus becomes the gold standard for what it means to be a follower of God and to be a part of his people. It, you, you can't really overestimate the importance of what is happening here. This is the start of the church. So, so that's the, the bigger picture, the, the meta-narrative of what's going on. Now let's look at the details of this event under a microscope to see what it means for you and I. You see in this story that Jesus, he, he goes up to a mountain and he appoints for himself 12 apostles. Now, I've talked about this uh, several months ago in our Sunday evening service when we were studying the book of Acts. Uh, that word, apostle, in the original Greek, it just means a sent out one. Jesus appoints 12 sent out ones to, to do just that, to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. Uh, over the, the course of our series so far in the book of Mark, uh, we, we've already talked about many of these 12, uh, many of these sent out ones, but, but I believe it, it certainly uh, bears repeating. Uh, these men 
were not NBA All-Stars. They, they were not first-round uh, draft picks for the NFL. Uh, many of these men were poor fishermen. One was a despised tax collector. I mean, the, the fact that those men were, were working those professions means that they weren't in line to become the religious elite of their day. They're, they're not the, the cream of the crop. Yet, these are the men that Jesus appoints as his ambassadors, as his sent out ones. And, and as Mark describes this scene, he, he sets up a, another irony for you. You see that those who ultimately get to be Jesus, with Jesus are not the ones who approached Jesus, but rather are the ones who were appointed by Jesus. It's not the ones who approach Jesus that ultimately get to be with him. It's only the ones who were appointed by Jesus. I mean, as you, as you read through these verses, Take note of who is missing on this mountain. Who is noticeably absent? It's the crowds. The the crowds that pressed in on Jesus like his paparazzi, they're gone. And instead, it's only those who Jesus has personally called and those whom he has desired that that are the ones who come up with him on the mountain. That The crowds may have followed after Jesus, but, but they completely misunderstood what it meant to be followers of Jesus. So, so let's take just a moment to, to see what it looks like to be appointed by Jesus to be his follower. There, there are two requirements that you see from this story. Uh, number one, to, to be a follower of Jesus, you must be willing to spend time with Jesus. Uh, verse 14 says that he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. Becoming a follower of Jesus, uh, it's not a transaction like you might make at a grocery store with a cashier. Uh, It's a transformation that invites you into an ongoing relationship with the Lord. Jesus may have appointed these men on the mountain, but their relationship with him isn't going to end just because they leave. That This is just the beginning. These men are going to be with Jesus on the front lines of ministry for the rest of his time on earth. Uh, they, They are going to eat with Jesus, laugh with Jesus, cry with Jesus, Uh, struggle and toil in ministry with Jesus. Eventually, they're going to lay down their lives in the name of Jesus. So, So let me ask you, is your relationship with Jesus an ongoing transformation like the apostles 
Or was it just a, a momentary transaction like it was with the crowds? Do, do you continue to have conversations with Christ throughout your day? Do, do, do you regularly sit down to read his word and to hear from him? Does Jesus's death and resurrection continue to be the greatest news in your life and, and the basis of your daily relationship with God? Or is it just a memory of a momentary transaction that you made in the distant past? If you are a follower of Jesus, that means that you have been appointed by Jesus to spend time with Jesus, to, to spend personal, intimate time with him on an ongoing basis. Secondly, though, to be a follower of Jesus, you, you also must be willing to be sent out by Jesus. In, in verse 14, Jesus doesn't just appoint these 12 so that they might be with him, kind of in their own sort of little holy huddle. He equips them so that he might send them out. And you and I, we may never be apostles in the capital A sense. We may never be one of those original 12, but... If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, then you are still a sent out one. Now, not only will you be called up the mountain to be with Jesus, you will also be commissioned by him to go out and proclaim to others that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it's because you've spent so much time with Jesus and it's because you have such an intimate love for Jesus that you can't help but take that message, which has been so uh, life-altering and just radical for your own soul. You, you can't help but take that message to others so that by the grace of God, they may hear of that good news of his resurrection as well. So, church, know that the Jews waited a long, long time for the arrival of their Messiah. And many had misconceptions, all kinds of misconceptions of what that Messiah would look like. Some thought he would come as a military leader or a politician uh, many thought that he'd look more like a Pharisee or the other uh, religious elite of his day. Uh, and, and because of that, many failed to recognize Jesus when they finally saw him, when, when he finally came. Uh, and and I, I don't know where you are at spiritually this morning, uh, but, but if you'll remember anything that I've said uh, I hope it would be this. N know that, that nothing has, has really changed in the last two millennia. 
People failed to recognize Jesus 2,000 years ago, and people still do the same today. Crowds of people still approach Jesus in prayer. They're, they're still attracted to the novelty of Jesus's teachings, uh, but, but those crowds far outnumber those who will ultimately be called by Jesus and be appointed as his disciples. So, so as you reflect this week on, on the state of your own soul, remember, remember that, that being a disciple of Jesus was never and will never be about your level of attraction to Jesus. It's far more about your level of submission to Jesus. And, and if you fail to recognize that reality, you, you'll fail to recognize who Jesus is. Let me pray.